ASA Training and Response Podcast. This is episode 17, where we talk with Mandy Evans about how the Home to Home program can assist with emergency fostering during disasters. Welcome, everybody, to the ASAR Training and Response Podcast. Man, it's been a long time since we have had a chance to talk with you today. And as always, is my co-host, Carla Lewis. How are you today? I'm good. Good to be back and welcome everybody back to our podcast. Absolutely. You know, Carla and I were kind of reviewing back through the, the old podcast, and it's been over a year since we actually have been broadcasting, but we are back for 2022 and into 2023. We've got some exciting topics to talk about uh, coming up, and um, we're really excited to brief out on what we've been doing with some of our partners. Uh, Carla, in, in her spare time, among the many hats that she wears, also runs the exotic animal strike team for ASAR. And Carla, you and I have had some fun in the last couple of months. Can you kind of brief what's been going on in the exotic animal world? Uh, absolutely. We've really gained a lot of momentum in the past um, year, year and a half on our um, heavy extrication techniques that we've been utilizing for the megavertebrates in the zoo field. Um, recently, we worked on a rhinoceros that needed a dental procedure, and we just couldn't have been happier with how um, the procedure worked with our equipment and the needs of that animal during that procedure. We have a um, workshop that we're doing for a zoo where we're focusing on giraffes, and we also have a training with a zoo to work on some elephant techniques. So, um, just this whole world is kind of opening up to how our equipment and, and these techniques can be used to help these animals um, in, during procedures or even during medical emergencies. Yeah, we had a great trip out to California earlier this spring to the ACA uh, Mid-Year Summit, and we had another one of our East members, Mandy Fisher, join us out of Delaware. And we had an opportunity to meet with a lot of agencies, a lot of facilities, and realize that there were needs across the country. And remember, the exotic piece is just one branch of the ASAR training and response platform. And if you guys aren't familiar with the platform and its whole, go to asartraining.com, hit the training and hit the, the tab that says all training in the, in the drop down, And you're going to see a variety of things that uh, we offer here at the ASAR platform for disaster response and technical animal rescue. Uh, a lot of it is based towards our government partners, but as you see, we um, can uh, do a cooperative uh, work with, with most anyone uh, that has the interest in the technical animal rescue or disaster preparedness piece. Another thing we've been really excited about is we just got back from Michigan Humane last month and big kudos to Michigan Humane. Uh, their field team is one of the few in the country that have completed their complete ASAR training. Uh, they've got some FEMA type one technicians in-house now. They can be a FEMA type two response team. They're working with the state of Michigan to help with uh, animal disaster planning and response. Uh, so again, seeing the light come out, we're starting to come out of the pandemic. These agencies that have been working really hard behind the scenes are starting to emerge and we're starting to see a lot of progress in the possibility to mission ready package ASAR resources with the USAR teams. And up at that training, we had a good time because we had ASAR instructor Greg Merrill with us. 
And if you guys have been following along on social media, Greg, had, uh, he works for Oklahoma Fire Department. He's a battalion chief. He also works with Oklahoma Task Force One. And Greg is the guru, one of the gurus um, that handles all hazards uh, rescue on the human side. And Greg has been working with ASAR now for about three years and adapting many of those skills to animal uh, applications. And so he developed an intro to confined space, intro to collapse structure, and introduction to wide area search, which went over fabulously. And Carla, can you talk about those few days? I was really excited about the confined space training. I, by trade, I'm an animal control officer. And I think all of those animal control officers out there have story after story of times that they went into some type of confined space, whether it's a manhole or underneath a a house, you know, in a crawl space to get an animal. And animal control officers do this day in and day out, put their safety on the back burner. And these are situations where these animal control officers need the proper training to know how to do that type of thing safely. We oftentimes put our own safety at risk to save animals. And I'm really excited about the opportunities that these that this class has to um, show animal control officers how you can safely do these skills and still rescue these animals, but keeping that responder safety first on the on the list. Yeah, and it's a whole new set of skills and toys to play with when you're getting into confined space and collapsed structure. Um, so we're excited to uh, bundle. Greg's classes uh, more with the with the usual suspects. You know, if you go to the events page on the website, you'll see the large animal rescue operations uh, courses. We're starting getting inquiries on flood water uh, and boat ops and swift water classes again, and we're already booking into 2023. So you guys know we book six months ahead for most of our classes. So if you aren't penciling for next year, you need to start thinking about it. If your agency needs training. The the other aspect that we wanted to pass on among the thousand hats that I wear in the disaster world uh, this year at the NASEP, and NASEP is an acronym spelled N-A-S-A-A-E-P. Think about NASA AEP. It stands for the National Alliance of State Animal and Agricultural Emergency Programs. Uh, But they had their conference this May in Minneapolis, and NASEP is the hub for state emergency programs that have to do with animals. We partner with the military, our non-governmental organization partners like NARSC, um, and everybody that's included in NARSC. And it's open to Uh, all levels of emergency management, uh, disaster response, anything that has to do with animal programs can come to NASEP and network. And uh, somebody thought it was a good idea a couple of years ago for me to sit on the board of directors, and then they (laughs) lost their minds and voted me president of NASEP uh, for about the next two years. So my roles will expand Uh, as I continue to work with state and federal partners uh, and represent the the NASEP membership. But I'm really excited uh, because of the NASEP Summit uh, and everything that was presented there. One of the presenters there is our guest today, uh, Mandy Evans, uh, and is going to be with us here shortly. 
and Mandy can talk about her local agency and her home to home program. And then uh, she and I are going to kind of talk about uh, our vision together on how we're going to roll this into uh, disaster response and kind of a, a, the, the, the buzzword that I've been hearing in the disaster community is intake diversion programs. <laughs> and that basically equates to keeping animals out of the emergency animal shelters uh, during these areas. So I'm going to kick it over to Mandy. Welcome, Mandy Evans. Can you introduce yourself, talk about your organization and, and introduce Home to Home for us? Sure. Hello, I'm Mandy Evans. I am the executive director at the Better Together Animal Alliance in Idaho. We are an animal shelter and we created a program home to home back in 2016 that helps shelters support their community by animals that would regularly be surrendered to their shelter now could be rehomed with the support of the shelter. So those pets never enter into an animal shelter. And we um, thought, well, you know what? They did it in Hurricane Sandy and it seems like a great way to leverage your community support during a disaster. So we added fostering, temporary fostering to the site which means that we can do a request for fosters in the surrounding areas where a um, disaster has impacted and have those community members volunteer to foster pets that have been impacted. So now you've got animals that are happy and in a home safe, and those emergency response teams aren't having to house as many pets in these temporary shelters. That was a big, long, hi. <laughs> no, that's great. Hey, Eric, why don't we talk a little bit about, um, you know, as someone who's been in the disaster field, the challenges of, you know, sheltering animals during a disaster, you know, do you consider that to be one of the biggest challenges when an ASAR team or even an animal control agency has a disaster in their, in their area? It really does. You know, we see the pictures of people evacuating and uh, we know and we talk about this to death, that the animal-human bond means if there's human, an, uh, human issues, there are animal issues. And there's got to be places to go. There is no sense of field teams to go out there and be ahead of the, of the game and try to pull animals if there's no place for them to be sheltered. And many times, the first 72 hours, local resources and local animal shelters, they just assume that there's capacity for those animals to go in there. And many times, especially now, right. um, shelters are absolutely full. Transports are not moving across the country. And there's no place for animals to go, which is why the home to home program is so intriguing, because it gives the opportunity for people to say, hey, you know, I have room in my home and I may be looking to adopt. Um, and then we've got people that don't want their animals to go into a shelter environment for one reason or another. And it's match.com for, for animals, or I kind of call it the Airbnb in the disaster world is that, Hey, you can go stay at a house instead of go stay at a shelter. Um, and then you can go home. And so what's, what's really intriguing about this is that we haven't ever rolled it out in an actual 
emergency situation. So Mandy and I have been talking about the possibilities. And again, let me preface this with this is just one tool in a toolkit. I am not saying replace emergency animal sheltering completely 100%. We have not only the emergency animal shelters for animal control, you're going to see non-governmental organizations with pop-up animal shelters during a disaster. You're going to see foster care programs pop up. You're going to see home to home pop up. It all happens organically. So if we can give them an organized structure like home to home to work in, then it's a focal point and people have a route of communication. It's something that we can post at a disaster assistance center and we can stick that in the emergency management toolkit at both the ESF 11 and the ESF 6 mass care uh, planning stages at all different levels, you know, and then we throw back in the, the cohabitation toolkit that came out of Louisiana several years ago. So this is just one more option, but you know, where I really wanted to use it uh, and where it drove home for me was the Marshall fire in Colorado this past January, that fire happened just a few miles away from the code three uh, office. And we were engaged right off the bat with Boulder County Animal Control and that field team. And in the matter of 24 hours, there were a thousand houses burned out and people were, were left without anything. And the ones that got out with their pets didn't have a lot of options. They had hotels, they had friends, they had family, but we always estimate in our disaster planning that, okay, we're going to look at the population that's affected, and then we're going to take 10% of that to say, all right, let's focus, and these are the amount of animals we anticipate to come into or need some sort of shelter support. Sometimes we're dead on, sometimes they handle it, sometimes we're way off, and we're going to be looking at, at a pretty high intake, but we'll never know until we're 48 to 72 hours into an event and it starts to unfold. So uh, again, having uh, a home-to-home in an area quickly. Okay, let's run the scenario. We're going to have an event on the coast. And that event is, uh, we've got a Cat 5 coming in, people are evacuating out, Um, we're in doing pre-evacuations, and we've got a home-to-home QR code where people can click it, and you can either sign up as someplace to go, you know, a host, or someplace that needs help. And those people then work together the local shelter or, or it doesn't even have to be a local representative there is that we could actually supply some of our own people to help with the networking. Um, but we start to put people together outside of that agency. But here's the fun part. We have transparency of the number of animals that are being housed here. So many times these animals leave the grid and we don't have transparency. And when we go back to the after action report, we say, well, we had a thousand houses burned out. How many animals were sheltered? Well, we only had 20 or or 30 come to the shelter. Well, where did the rest of them go? We don't know. Oh, well, that's fine. It got taken care of. Eh, Wrong answer. You're fired. It didn't take care of itself. It happened. We just didn't capture it. So another piece of home to home is if we have transparency, we can capture that and say, look at all the good things we did. And it was people helping people or peer to peer resource sharing. And we weren't having to tax the already taxed animal welfare system. Mandy, help me with this. Am I on board with this? Is, is, am I hitting it on top of the head? Give me more. Yeah, I'm wondering. I'm like, man, I just need to hire you. No. <laughs> 
<laughs> so, so Mandy, maybe you could talk a little bit about like, what is the ideal platform for home to home work during a disaster? Like if you said, this is the perfect situation in which home to home can help a, help a community, how, what would that look like? Well, and I, I think that the one aspect that can be confusing to people is that the, it's essentially a website. So anyone um, can deploy it as long as we've, we've given them authorization to deploy. So it could be the local shelter. Um, it could be a large national group. It could be Code 3, whomever we agree is going to manage the program. Um, and then it's collaboratively shared. Like we've, we have relationship with the Red Cross. If you get the, the Red Cross, the, the human aspect, referring people over to the site, you have the animal aspect referring over to the site. Now you have, um, you know, a robust system where there are people who have, let's say that it's a fire and we know that fire is moving towards an area, we're able to notify those families that they can be searching for a foster home now. And then we could also be putting it out there to the region that won't be impacted to please sign up to foster. So as Eric said, naturally, organically, these things are happening. But the nice thing about having an organized platform is that whomever is deploying it has this back system. So they can see reporting, they could send out emails to the people who signed up to foster saying we still need help. Um, if there were special resources provided, let's say there's a food drop, and we want to help these foster families have food, we can be communicating with those families so they can come out medical care, whatever it is. And the other thing is that the site is open to really any legal animal. So it could be livestock, um, fish. We, we heard at uh, NASEP a funny story about a little beta fish that was in a, a jar uh, floating down the, the river at one <laughs> disaster. Um, and people are open. I think the, the one thing that and we do this in sheltering, like this is a traditional mindset in sheltering, is that when we look at solving problems, we look at them from a standpoint of control. Like what can we do um, personally that can help manage the situation? And right now, a lot of what we do as a, a shelter and home to home is trying to say, you know what, we're not the only ones that are capable or willing to help. So let's create a system that provides the tools and resources to community members who really want to help. And we know they want to help. That's why people end up with truckloads and truckloads of socks um, because they heard that people needed socks. Like they are, let's give them an avenue to be productive in their assistance uh, rather than, you know, latching on. They're probably still latch on to, you know, like, I don't know, there was a disaster, I think once, and they asked people to like knit um, sweaters for chickens. <laughs> And, you know, everybody and their mother knitted sweaters for chickens. Um, the other thing, too, I just want to say is also I agree with Eric that this is not supposed to be like the silver bullet. We're still working with humans um, that are going to want to make really great decisions for their pets. And they may not find a foster that is appropriate. They may not be able to find one in time. There's a lot of factors here. So we're not saying that this is going to eliminate the on-site need to shelter animals, but it may reduce the length of stay um, of pets that are in those shelters. And it could help in kind of your second wave of people who thought they 
had the resources to keep their family together, and then maybe a month down the line figure out they can't, they could still go into the system and try to track down a foster for their pets. Um, and it, it isn't really meant for strays. I know that at, at different municipalities, there may be issues with having um, unowned animals being placed in foster homes. So ideally, the idea is to try to reserve the actual shelter space for strays that are found so they can work on reuniting the, the owners and then have these owned animals providing them with a, an alternate solution than um, putting them into a temporary shelter. That's exactly what we needed to hear. Uh, those types of points, because if I'm, uh, and I'm going to look at this from a couple of different perspectives, let's go from the animal control supervisor that has field and shelter duties and, and responsibilities. Um, they could say, okay, if you have an owned animal, here's the home to home program, please sign up. We're going to try to get you placed as soon as we can. We're going to be um, holding for strays and animal control intakes. That's a great division of, of responsibility. And the other piece to that that is I've had people that I've talked to and I talked to about home to home. They said, oh, we don't need home to home. We have a foster program. I said, that is wonderful that you have a foster program. You live in a hurricane area. Have you discussed with your fosters what they're going to do when they have to evacuate? Can they, are they, do they want to evacuate with that pet? Can they legally take that pet out of the county or out of the state if they're evacuating? Um, and if they're, however they work that out, but are, are they prepared to take emergency intake of animals? And nine times out of 10, they don't have answers to any of that, especially that emergency intake of animals and that surge response. Boy, we talk about that all the time in our disaster response, surge response. Yes, you can handle the day-to-day, -day, but that surge response, that first week of holy crap, we have no power, we have no water, and it's hot, and I don't even have shade for my animals, um, is that that's what we're talking about. And, you know, the home communities, the people that sign up, maybe 50 miles away, maybe outside the normal foster program radius. And so this really is, again, an exciting piece. And Mandy, I always get caught in puppies and kitties, but man, Carla, on the evacuation for large animals, how great would it be to say, hey, you've got horses and goats and poultry, and we have people that have pasture space, and it's not a pop-up Facebook page. It's not a fly-by-night iffy situation. These are people that actually have an address or signed up and say, we can take large animals um, for a short amount of time. If your well is off power or, or whatever it is, having a large animal network for placement, that's gold. Right. And, you know, just like you kind of talked about a little bit before, um, you know, Facebook, which can be great. Um, it can also cause a lot of harm is, is the main tool that people are using for this type of thing, because it is happening. And the nice thing about home to home is that it is like Eric said, it's traceable. We can look back, we can see the data. We know where these animals are. It's not just some random Facebook post that goes away. And then you have no idea you know, what animals went where and who has that, av that availability. This is a database that we can go to and we can get that concrete data and addresses and places and, and know where these animals are going and keep track of that. So another big question yeah. that's brought so, up frequently is the liability piece. Um, so I'll just throw that out there that 
um, the decision between the the approval of the the foster home and the decision um, from you know where this pet should go is all done through that pet owner so the onus is on them they're the ones and i know they're under disrupt dis duress and um that can be really stressful but we are not saying that there's going to be a team of people we're going to go evaluate all these foster homes it, it simply can't be done so the people who are trusting and putting those animals in in these homes have to make those good decisions um, and then we will be providing them with a contract so they're legally doing kind of a temporary transfer of of ownership that will also help with um, guiding resources and helping uh, the people that are on the ground if if there are issues, but there's no responsibility from anyone deploying it that you're guaranteeing the foster home is perfect um, or that there is, uh, I mean, you have the information, like Carla said, you'll have the information, but that doesn't mean that you're liable for that information, if that makes sense. And I actually like that aspect of the program because it really does give control, full control over to the animal owner to make that decision and to meet with those people. And you do, even though that, that liability piece is, is not there, you do provide a large questionnaire for, for owners to go down. Can you talk a little bit about um, your guidance to pet owners on finding a location? Yeah, we have, you know, a lot of time when you go through any type of fostering application and even adoption application, there are so many questions that are really leading in a kind of a negative way. Like, um, I can't think of any right now, but, but what we did was we did generalized questions. Like, what's your lifestyle? Where will my pet sleep? Um, will my pet be walked? Will, do you have a fenced backyard? There's a lot of, I think it's two pages of really detailed questions. If there are medical concerns, who would we go to for that? Who's the secondary? Um, if we can't reach you for, and then specify amount of time, um, when does the transfer of ownership happen if you fall off um, the you know face of the earth and we can't reach you anymore? So there's a ton, a ton of questions. The other thing that um, we've learned is that Lisa uh, Gunter, Dr. Gunter, with I believe it's the University of Denver um, did a study. It hasn't been uh, completely released, but they they did a study with doing peer to peer fostering through shelters. So animals that um, through a safety net program. So you know somebody's having a, a medical emergency, housing insecurity. Um, they would find other community members that would foster these community members' pets. And they found really great success with it. So um, the the amount of animals that were, were left behind or uh, not reclaimed is, I don't have the, the stats right in front of me, but it was really low. Um, the success of those programs ended up being really high, whether that animal was reunited with the owner or the foster ended up adopting it. So it's time to kind of put those fears aside and and try a different approach and, and trusting people. No, I love that point, Mandy, because people love a good rumor. They love to, you know, kind of maybe create a problem that maybe isn't there. And um, I love the thought of, you know, we got to trust people and we got to trust people in the disaster, but we also have to be smart about it. So I love that there's a questionnaire, that there's some follow-up 
that people can can vet someone who's going to have their pet and hopefully make those good decisions. So let's talk about where we're going with this and what's going to happen next as we start to wrap up. So we're actually in a beta test phase with Home to Home. Uh, Code 3 is going to partner with Home to Home this year during disaster season, and we're going to run some disaster scenarios virtually first where we're actually going to run real time. Hey, we're on the ground. We need to set home to home up. What is that going to look like? And, and get people involved to make sure that it's something that we can take into an area. And then when we work with our emergency management, we're going to offer this giant mission ready package of animal services that it's not just code three. We've got um, our Bissell Pet Foundation partners to help with pre-evacuation, transportation, and placement. We've got code three assessment coming on the ground that includes boat, drone, and uh, ground pounders for assessments and pre-evacuation, ride the storm out, post-evacuation. We've got our mass care support that this is where we're going to couple in with our shelters and our BPF partners and mass care, the home to home options and say, here, let's get this rolling. And then on top of that, we're hoping to work with Petco Love a little bit more with some of their uh, lost and found facial recognition software. So the ASAR teams can use uh, not only their GIS software for tracking animals and reporting back to emergency management, but hopefully working with Petco Love then on, hey, we just took a picture of this animal we got in the field. Does it matching with anything in the database? Again, so the animal can come to whatever landing point we're at for ASAR teams to come out and they can take their animal directly from us instead of it going into the shelter system. So we're going to see that tested and we're going to see that mission ready package this year and hopefully have some really good results to report back uh, at the end of that disaster season. Mandy, as we wrap up, any uh, final thoughts? Where can people find more information on Home to Home? Sure. You can go to the site. It's home-home.org and learn more about it. If you are listening and you're interested in uh, your local community uh, animal welfare organization joining in general just to help with uh, rehoming and uh, diverting intake um, of those owner-surrendered animals, they can um, please share our, our website with them as well. And then if you have specific questions around this, you can email us at info at home-home.org. Perfect. Thank you for all you do. And thank you for not only coming to NASEP and presenting, but joining us today. And Miss Carla, as always, it's great to hear your voice and look forward to many more podcasts this year. You got any final thoughts for the crew? Yes. No, Mandy, thank you so much for uh, being with us. I'm really excited about the opportunities that Home to Home can, can bring these communities, especially smaller communities with animal sheltering during disasters and fostering. Just to our listeners out there, thanks for um, coming back. We're glad to be back. We hope to have quite a few more podcasts this year. Let us know in the comments or questions if you if there's any topics you guys want to listen to. Like and subscribe if you want to keep hearing us. And as always, check out our Instagram and Facebook pages at ASAR Training and Response. And everyone, be safe out there. Mm-hmm.